This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You're listening to Makes and Noise Podcast, Minisode number 480. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Today is my anniversary. I don't know if, if it's an anniversary or a birthday. I guess it's just personal preference. But today marks 11 years of not drinking any alcohol. Zero. Not a drop. Although I have dreamt about it. But that doesn't count, thankfully, because when I dream about it, I have so much visceral shame (laughs) in my dreams. Oh, my God. Have you ever quit something and you're like, I don't know, maybe some of you are former smokers and you work so hard trying to quit smoking? I know that's – I don't know because I've never been a smoker, but from what I understand, it's like one of the hardest things to quit. And then you dream about it. And then you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh my God, was that real? Did I really do it? Drinking dreams are kind of the worst. I often have them where I am like at a party or a bar and I order a drink or I am reaching for a drink that someone has offered me and everything's like normal. I'm not like, ooh, I get to drink. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to have this drink. And then I'm about to put it to my mouth and I can smell it. And I can, even in my dream, I can feel like the cold condensation or like the glass if it's a, if I'm holding a beer or a wine glass. And it's in that moment that I realized that I'm sober. And I was like, oh, dang, I can't do this. <laughs> I don't do this anymore. <laughs> but in zero of my drinking dreams, am I actually drunk? It's always that I have drank. And there's this realization. Anyway, this is not what this podcast episode was about. Please, please excuse my sidebar, but um, yeah, it, it's eleven years that I that I have drank that I have not had anything to drink alcohol wise, and these anniversaries as of late have kind of crept up on me because I just don't think about it anymore, which is a good thing. I don't think about it anymore, and it's been a long time since it's felt agonizing. And um, for any of you who are struggling with your relationship with alcohol. I'm going to pop in the show notes a link to my recovery series, which is coming back, actually, after a six-year hiatus. I can't believe I've been doing the podcast for almost 10 years, but I'm going to have some recovery episodes. So that's going to be that's going to be great. I'm excited to talk about that again. Today, I'm not talking about recovery. I'm not talking about drinking or the lack of drinking or even dreams for that matter. I am talking about rest. 
The reason that it came on my radar and I thought about doing a mini-sode is because I was thinking about overachieving and I, I wrote a whole chapter on it and how to stop feeling like shit. And we were also talking about it a little bit when I hosted the Daring Way retreat a few weeks ago. Overachieving being one of our pieces of armor that we wear to try to avoid criticism, try to avoid uh, judgment, failure, shame, all those things. And one of the anecdotes is rest, like actual, real, legitimate rest. And I found some statistics that are pretty interesting. There was a Gallup poll in 2019 that confirmed that 30% of women and 27% of men say they are always or very often feeling burned out at work. And then in 2021, big surprise, that gap got even bigger where 34% of women and 26% of men reported feeling burned out. Do you find that interesting that that there was <laughs> it was only one percentage point less of men felt burned out in 2021 versus 2019, but women there was an increase? I don't know. I I won't even get into that. But working women report more on the job burnout and I don't even think that it is specific to women who work outside the home. Stay-at-home parents find themselves with more and more responsibilities and during the pandemic found yourself with more and more uncertainty which can lead to worsening mental health. And if you're a Gen Xer like me, um, and I think even for millennials who were sort of made fun of for being such a selfish generation, a st- stereotype, which I don't believe is true. But a lot of times we were labeled as lazy. I know for Gen X, we were labeled as the the slacker generation. So there's definitely a negative connotation to, <laughs> to feeling quote unquote lazy, which I hate that term, or a slacker. And it's obviously we live in America, uh, land of capitalism, where we are valued and given much praise based on our productivity, based on our output, based on how much we accomplish and, and what we accomplish. So it's no wonder that that overachieving and hyperachieving can be a huge problem. And not to mention, we are still recovering from girl boss culture and and hustle culture which is is very specific i think to this sort of trope of entrepreneurship that we saw kind of explode in let's see when was that i it's hard for me to remember when that was because i was already in it but i think that the the height of it was 2015 2014 2015 and then it kind of all crashed and burned and not at all saying it went away. I don't think it went away. <laughs> I think we just started talking about it. <laughs> I think we all got kind of tired and we're like, oh my God, can't do this anymore. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. One of one book that I love that I've talked about here on the show, and it's it's on my Amazon book page, which I think is in every show notes, by the way, if you didn't know. Emily and Amelia Nagoski wrote the book Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And they say that we should try to spend about 42% of our time at rest. And this is a quote, quote from the book that I love. And they said, quote, we're not saying you should take 42%. Of your time to rest, we're saying if you don't take the 42%, the 42% will take you. It will grab you by the face, shove you to the ground, put its foot on your chest, and declare itself the victor. End quote. I mean, overachieving, putting productivity in a higher priority than rest will turn around and bite you in the ass. It has done it to me. I'm sure it's done it to you. And it has it has the the capability to to keep doing it to us. So I think you know to shift gears and not just talk about the problem, but to talk about the solution is obviously rest is the solution. But I think when we when we get a little more granular than that, it's about determining what actually makes you feel rested. Because I think sometimes we feel like we're resting, you know, we'll sit on the couch and stroll through social media. And the question I'd like you to ask yourself is, is the things that you are defining as rest, maybe it is 
laying in bed in the morning on the weekend and, you know, not getting right out of bed and just sort of relaxing, like sitting on the couch, scrolling through your phone. Maybe you define rest as going out for happy hour with your friends or having coffee with a friend. Take some inventory there and ask yourself when you're done with those, do I feel rested? Do I feel rejuvenated? That's how I define rest. Like, do I feel like my battery has been recharged? You can look at it just like you would charge your electronics. Do I feel like my battery is full after I have done this thing? And that might help you (laughs) determine if something is actually restful or not. I know for me, as an extrovert, I feel energized after I've been with people and socialized. And that just, I mean, my oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, all those things are flying high. I have no scientific evidence to prove that, but that's how I feel. Just, I feel amazing. But if I want to feel rested, I have to be by myself. I cannot talk to anyone. I cannot be leaving anybody messages. I cannot be sending any emails. I cannot be reading any emails. I cannot be answering anyone's questions. I cannot be doing anyone any any favors. I need to be by myself. And that's usually reading. Scrolling through my phone on social media does not make me feel rested. There's too much that I have to sort of consume and process It's, I don't know if it's like the audio from the videos, it's the reading the text on the screen, it's the, you know what I mean? Like the looking at the images, like all these different things that I have to process in my brain, I just don't feel rested. And that was a big aha moment for me and and really committing to every night reading. So maybe it's similar for you. Or maybe it's something else that truly makes you feel rested. But that's the first part of it. I would love for you to take inventory of what are what are the things that actually make you feel rested. The second part is working through any feelings that you have around that. Let me explain. If you feel guilty for resting, for taking the time, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that probably most of you listening to this have had feelings of guilt for taking time for yourself. I know that when one of my children wants to come and talk to me at 10 o'clock at night and they want to have like this major conversation (laughs) and I have, sometimes I say yes. And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's not okay in terms of like my own mental health, but I have had to have a talk with them and say any big conversation, any big questions that will require you know, kind of deeper thinking from me have to be completed by 8.30 p.m. This is the time that I have figured out is my sort of off switch. Like mom's clocking out. Mom is clocking out. You're gonna have to write it down on a piece of paper and we can talk about it in the morning or the following evening or whenever. But setting that boundary has been both game-changing in terms of my own mental health and also an invitation for me to work on my feelings of guilt. Because I have made up a story that in order to be a good mother, I have to be available 24-7 for my children. And of course, if it was an emergency of some sort, of course. But those don't happen very often. And I also notice that when I allow them to come into my room to have these bigger conversations at 10 p.m. at night, it becomes a habit and it messes with their sleep as well. So I've sort of switched my perspective in, A, I'm showing them loving boundaries. I mean, I'm not a jerk about it. I'm not 
my room. Throwing a shoe at the door? No. (laughs) I maybe have thought about it a time or two, but no. They're loving boundaries, always with a follow-up. You know, this goes back to John Gottman's work, always talking about when we will regroup. So it's, it's not a no, it's let's talk about this later and I give a specific time. And also just acknowledging if I do feel guilty about it. And working through the tools that I have that I talk about in all of my books about how to walk yourself through those feelings. And it could be something like, okay, what am I making up about <laughs> this feeling? You know, that I'm feeling guilty and and I should always be there for them. Like, is that really true? What's another alternative thought? You guys know the drill. You've been you've been here on the podcast long enough to to remember some of them or have listened listened to or read my books to know what they are. It's about processing through any feelings that you might have of rest or even just on a like a cultural basis. What do you make up about people who rest? Remember and make some noise in the very beginning of the book I asked that question, what is your conditioning versus what is your truth? And you asking yourself that question, what is my conditioning versus what is your truth? Well your conditioning is probably that only lazy people rest or that you don't need to rest or that you don't have time to rest. There are too many tasks that need to be done in the day and who else is going to do them? Maybe you're a single parent. Maybe your partner doesn't help you as much as they should, doesn't participate in the tasks as much as they should. I should say that instead of help. Maybe that's part of it. But again, take a little inventory of what are the things you make up about rest in general or people who rest. People who make that 42% of rest a priority, people who set boundaries around their rest. Like maybe you had a reaction when I told you that I don't allow my children to come and talk to me about big things after 8.30 p.m. Unpack that. Get curious about that. What is it that you make up about it? That people who do that are neglectful moms? What do you make up if you did that? So I want you to start asking yourself those questions and sort of picking apart any judgments or stereotypes that you make up about people who prioritize their rest. Because you deserve rest. You deserve to take care of your mental health. That includes mental and emotional. You deserve to take care of your physical body. We have to rest as humans. We cannot sustain on lack of rest. We can't. I've tried it. I'm sure you've tried it too. And the consequences are not are not great. All right. I hope that you take away from this some new insight and also making rest a priority. Maybe this weekend you carve out some time. Maybe today you carve, maybe right after this podcast, you go take a nap or something. It's so interesting to me. Every time I take a nap, which isn't as often as it probably should be. I always wake up from my nap and I'm like, nothing fell apart. Nothing. There were no dire consequences for me taking a 30-minute nap. None at all. So I hope that you can have that. I hope you can have and put a make a priority rest. All right. I will see you next time. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes, andreaowen.com slash free. 
and you just sign up. You get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.